Today on the podcast, we talk about our latest documentary, The Fight for Environmental Justice in Michigan, focusing on the most polluted zip code in the state of Michigan. Laura Chapman is here today, and let's get into it. As I said, our guest today is Lori Chapman, who worked on the latest MLive documentary, The Fight for Environmental Justice in Michigan, and my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, the one, the only, the human dulcimer, John Heiner. <laughs> I am happy to be here, Eric. Thank you for that uh, amazing introduction. Uh, I just... I think people show up every week just to hear your introduction and then just tune out. Yes. The most entertaining part. Yes, for sure. But thank, thank you very much for your kind words and uh, happy uh, almost August to you. I can't believe we're on the cusp of that, but uh, uh, it's been summer in Michigan. So everybody's been away from work. Everything's been uh, fun and uh, it, you know, it's the best time of year in Michigan. So uh, doesn't mean that MLive takes a vacation, though. We're still doing some great content, and we're here today to talk about um, a continuation of some of the really great video work that we've done in the past couple of years here with MLive. Eric, you know how much we like to talk about our Emmy-winning ways. Absolutely. I think we've, we're on to our next uh, statuette um, uh, with, with a project that was uh, done by basically one person from our video team and a very talented person. I'm going to introduce her right now. It's Lori Chapman. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here today. Um, and this, Lori's been involved in some way, shape or form with pretty much every video project that we've done. Um, you know, of course, the Emmy winning um, ones we've done, how we got here series, the, the deadliest Great Lake last year, uh, even some of our Michigan's best day videos. Um, she's a very, very talented video producer, editor, script writer. I'm, I'm not even doing justice to everything that she does, but I will say what we're here to talk about today has her DNA basically throughout the entire project. And we'll get into it here in a minute, but it's a very important topic. It's one of these really meaty topics. It's the, the kind of great, you know, visual storytelling that leaves you frustrated and angry after you've seen it. Um, and, and it makes you want to find a solutions to problems. And, and that's really the best kind of journalism. So I don't want to, um, you know, polish the app, apple too much here myself. I'd like to have Lori talk about it, but, uh, the video that uh, we'll be releasing this week, the documentary is called uh, the fight for Envi environmental justice in Michigan. And Lori, uh, just please give our listeners a, a basic overview, and then we'll get into how this, this story came about. Well, first, I don't want to say like, I don't want to take full credit. I did have some awesome videographers and drone pilots working with me on this. So I need to say that first off. But what I wanted to do was talk to some environmental justice activists in Michigan and kind of just get them to talk about what they do, what environmental justice is. And um, so basically, we kind of focus on Teresa Landrum, who's a lifelong resident of 48217, the it's often called the most polluted zip code in Michigan. That can be disputed because air pollutants go everywhere, but it's it's a kind of a good way to start. It's, uh, she lives um, really close to the Marathon Oil Refinery, which is the only oil refinery in the state of Michigan. And then she's surrounded by dozens of other industries. Um, so there's um, smokestacks in her backyard. There's I-75 goes right through the neighborhood. And that's just kind of how she grew up. And so it's, it's kind of just environmental justice is a huge, huge issue, which I realized um, working on this, it's bigger than I even even uh, realized. So it we kind of had to narrow our focus on just that area and sort of air pollution, but it 
it involves like water contamination, like water shutoffs, um, hazardous waste disposal, Native American land rights. It's, it's a huge, huge issue and we couldn't really get to all of it. So we just kind of use this as just like one example of, um, of environmental you know, injustice and also talk about the historical factors, which I think maybe is like the most interesting thing for me is like the, the historic history of redlining in Detroit and why certain people live in certain neighborhoods and why industry ends up in those neighborhoods. Right. I, not to oversimplify this, but like when I go up to Harbor Springs or, you know, Lake Michigan over at Saugatuck or something, you see these mansions on the water. And I say, I, I can't afford to live there. Well, if you take that to the logical stream on the other end of the spectrum, where like marginalized communities or poor people, you know, where's the property, where can they afford to live? And I think this video, this documentary shows very you know, poignantly that they don't have a lot of options of where they end up living is, is in areas that are heavily industrialized, um, close to highways, um, close to polluted rivers or, or toxic dumps, things of that nature. And, Anyone who's listening who's from Southeast Michigan and who has driven on the highways into Detroit, um, there's a giant um, oil tank that Marathon always painted. They, some years they paint it like a baseball for the Tigers, and some years it looks like a basketball for the Pistons. That's basically, you know, nobody stops there, you know, <laughs> you drive through. But that's where these people live is where these refineries are, uh, smokestacks, um, this, this three mile area where I think they counted over 50 smokestacks and people live there, right? Yeah. And they were, a lot of times they were there before the industry, like Teresa lived there before 75 was built. I mean, the oil refinery has been there since the thirties, um, but all the other, you know, other things that they've, they've expanded and the highway came, like she talks about how. Um, she didn't even know what a highway was when and when they were building it and some of her classmates had to move because their houses were torn down because they built the highway right through their neighborhood so it's not that they you know that they're forced to live there sometimes they were there first right and and i don't i just want to back up for a second and say this isn't a detroit issue um it's not just a michigan issue it this is a worldwide issue actually impoverished people or poorer people tend to live in areas that um, are where manufacturing or industry is, is located. And for, for instance, people who live around coal burning energy plants have higher rates of emphysema, uh, in, especially in children, things like that have been known for a long time. But in this documentary, uh, there's a, seems to be a growing awareness of that this is, as you say, uh, it's a, it's a civil rights issue more than, or as much as it is a health issue. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's kind of one of the ideas that inspired this is like the social justice movement is that like, I had never thought of environmental justice as a separate entity than like just environmentalism. But um, Justin Onwenu, one of the people we talked to, um, a really young activist, he talks about like how he's inspired by the civil rights movement, his activism. He's interested in public health, but he, he's also just interested in civil rights. I really liked his comparison. I, I have it in the video and he talks about like how it's different than conservation. It's different than just preserving wildlife. It's, it's giving these people better lives. Like the definition of environmental justice is um, everyone has access to, let's see, I wrote it down just in case I lost it. But like Paul Mohai said, um, Paul Moha, who is um, one of the people from the University of Michigan who we talked to, who's been studying this issue for decades, he said that it's simply is just the right of everyone to a clean, healthy, and safe environment in which to live, work, pray, and play. Right. And it, 
it doesn't mean that people have to move out to the country. <laughs> I mean, people should be able to live in urban areas and still have access. Well, gosh, look at Flint, right? They should still have access to clean water, uh, safe drinking water. Uh, and Flint is actually referenced in the documentary as well. It's, it is the urban environmental crisis of our generation, and it's still ongoing. Um, even though they've replaced a lot of the lead lines, uh, you've got lingering trust issues. And obviously, we've, we've had podcasts about this too, but uh, legal issues, and this is going to be going on for a long time. You know, one, one aspect of this too um, is the legal legislative um, aspect, which is what's happening in Michigan right now to, uh, with awareness of this topic. And I know that we had one lawmaker in the documentaries talking about some, some legislation that's been proposed and a lot of legislation gets proposed, but where does that stand, Lori? So I, um, I talked with Regina Strong. Uh, she is the state's first um, environmental justice public advocate. It's an office that the governor created. Um, and she also created a council um, on, let's see, it's called the, uh, the Michigan Advisory Council on Environmental Justice. And three of the people we talked to in the video are actually on that advisory council. So um, the Snyder administration had a little bit, after the water crisis, they did have uh, some environmental justice um, thinking and recommendations that Whitmer sort of carried over and started this panel. And um, they, it's, it's, a, it's made up of a group of like community members, activists, also business people, and also experts. And they kind of want to, they want to um, advise the government sort of holistically, like all, all the different ways to look at a community. They, one example that, that, um, that Regina Strong gave me was the uh, water shutoffs in Detroit during the early in the COVID pandemic. So that was one of the first things that they kind of really got involved in was like raising awareness that you can't shut people's water off when this disease, you need clean water to wash your hands to fight this disease. So that was kind of, when the, that's another environmental justice issue that we just kind of briefly mentioned in the video. It's just such a big um, issue, but um, that's one thing that they kind of raised awareness and brought to her, brought to the governor's attention. And eventually there was an executive order at, uh, with a moratorium on water shutoffs. The bill that was introduced in the house is modeled after a groundbreaking one that was passed in, in New Jersey just last year that sort of, takes into account um, all the pollution that's in a neighborhood. So like we're like we're not saying that these companies are breaking the law necessarily mm -hmm. with because they are they have permits and they're they're permitted to um, emit pollutants and that's how it works. And as long as they stay under the um, the the permitted levels, they're not breaking the law. But new permits don't necessarily take into account all the existing pollutants in that are already in a community. Right, it's cumulative. Yeah. Right. So you can be an individual um, manufacturer who's under a standard, but if you take all of the pollution in a neighborhood, any additive pollution is just making things worse. Yeah, exactly. So I think that people are trying to look at things more holistically and seeing, and also giving the, the community a voice. Is, it's a really important aspect of environmental justice is just giving community members a voice um, in what's happening in their own, their own environment. Mm -hmm. Well, I encourage, I don't want to give away too much. Um, it's a fantastic 10 minute documentary. I think people are going to learn a lot, but why don't we just go behind the scenes a little bit? Cause we are behind the headlines here on M live and talk a little bit about how this topic even came on, you know, across your threshold and how much you knew about it before you started working on it. And, and some of the things you've learned along the way. 
So I was just um, brainstorming ideas and kind of uh, looking around and I saw a tweet from Little Miss Flint uh, that mentioned mm-hmm. environmental justice. I'm sure you all remember her. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's she's an amazing activist. I would really actually like to do do something on her too. But um, she you know, tweeted about environmental justice and that was actually the first time I really thought of that as a, a phrase, you know, separate from social justice, separate from environmentalism. And so I just kind of did some research on it and I saw that Michigan has some uh, leading researchers on the subject, University of Michigan, and they had actually put together, um, Paul Mohai, who we talked to, his students put together this map that kind of, uh, it's it's a tool basically, a screening tool to see like what kind of uh, environmental justice burdens a community faces. So I thought that map would be kind of a good starting point. And then MLive had done some previous reporting on Marathon um, and they had recently had a, reached a consent agreement with the state over some emissions violations in 2019. And so we had already had done some reporting on that. So that was just kind of like the starting point. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. Our guest today is Lori Chapman, Emmy-winning video producer at MLive, and the creator and editor and scriptwriter for our latest um, documentary, The Fight for Envir- Environmental Justice in Michigan. And we're talking today about how that came to be and, and what the, the documentary is about and what some of the takeaways are from that. So thank you again, Lori, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what were the, the challenges of such a large topic for you? How do you, how do you condense that and get that into a 10 minute story? Well, I would love to show you my interview transcripts. So we talked to um, six people, I think for this and most interviews went at least an hour. So I uh, was able to get the interviews transcribed. I have the transcripts and then I, um, I kind of would read through them and highlight things that were interesting to me and then um, put the time code in and try to like organize it a little. It, it ended up just being me putting it all on a timeline and kind of just editing it together. I didn't really write a script in advance. I, I had an outline of like mm-hmm. what I wanted to say, but it just, I let the, I let the interviews drive the story. This, this is a little bit different than the other documentaries we've done because there's no narrator, there's no on-camera host. I just really wanted to let these voices tell their own story and it made it more of a challenge um, to really narrow down, you know, six hours of interviews into 10 minutes. Right. It was like, I imagine being at a, a party with, you know, 20 people there and the next day you have to you know, and everybody tells you part of a story and you have to put it all together, taking pieces from each person, but create a coherent storyline and a narrative. And just the, I think, practically speaking, all of that raw audio, all of that raw footage that you have, um, and to have it come together with such great pacing and keep the story narrative going and it builds on itself as it goes. So people, and it provokes emotion. Uh, as you're watching it too. So you, you have to think about things like tempo and and the cadence of it and, and kind of emotional climaxes that occur when someone tells a story. So, uh, you know, what, what's your background? Like, where where did you come from, uh, that you're able to have all of these skills from the script writing to the interviewing to editing? What, what what was your background? How'd you come to this? Um, well, I've been at MLive for six years. But before that, I was... Your probation's almost over, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always uh, doing what I do now. But, um, well, I was. I worked at CNN for nine years as a producer, um, writer, editor. And 
I would write, a lot of times I would write reporter packages um, in a couple hours. So I'm, I was really used to working really fast, um, writing, you know, writing something and getting it edited together. So I, and, but also like telling a story. I, I, that's where I learned script writing for sure. I had some awesome teachers there, some awesome mentors. We um, did the um, How We Got Here project two years, more than two years ago at this point with MLive where we got um, a grant and we were able to shoot, I think we did like six videos. Six <laughs> topics uh, going basically deep issues that Michigan residents were concerned about heading into the, the elections. And, and, you know, somewhere we did PFAS pollution. We did this, the, the growth in um, Trump supporters throughout Michigan. Um, we did roads, marijuana, Mar yep. Nestle yep. water. Yep. And so that really, I mean, that was, um, that was like boot camp. <laughs> it was literally boot camp. It was doing those videos. We did them all back to back. So we had more, you know, people helping us with scripting and research, but it, it was, um, you know, a lot of traveling around the state, a lot of, a lot of conducting the interviews. Um, I, I really like honed my in-person interviewing skills. I hadn't really done that mostly at CNN. I was in the office. I wasn't out in the field. So a lot of doing work in the field, I really learned, um, and learned some awesome video skills from Jeremy, our, our videographer on the, on that project. And so I think that's where I kind of really learned how, how to, how to put something together that can be like entertaining, but also informative. We also had an awesome editor on the project, Travis Blake was mm -hmm. the editor and he like his, his editing style really inspired me to be a better editor. So I, I sort of am always thinking about those, those videos inspired my editing style. Well, I mentioned earlier, you did a really nice job of taking six hours of, of footage from six different people and, and getting the, the little nuts, little essence, the, the, the points that they make that propel the story forward. But also when people watch a documentary, they'll see that visually it's interesting too, because they're not just, you know, there is one person on a Zoom, I think, but most of this stuff is done in environments where they're they're out in a park or they're they're shot interestingly in their space. And uh, how much thought goes into that? Every it's every scene you'd have to block it out. Do you do you go searching for locations? All that? Yeah, a lot of that, and a lot of that uh, credit goes to Jeremy, who did a little storyboarding beforehand. Um, we will, if we could, we we go to the scene in advance and kind of set up a shot, decide which angle, like where Teresa's sitting. Um, Teresa Landrum is sitting in Kemeny Park, which is right next to, right across I-75 from Marathon. So you can see Marathon behind her. We, you know, that's obviously really deliberately set up. Um, and we have, you know, two camera angles. Drone footage. Yeah, we have drone footage. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, Neil, and I am actually also a drone pilot. There, I think there's one shot in there that's from me, but the, the rest of them are from our awesome drone pilots, Jeremy and Neil. So, um, and that's kind of another reason we sort of focused on this area. It's very visual. Um, it's a visual aspect of environmental justice um, that I think helps get the point across. You don't have to dwell on this too long to do the math, but a 10 minute documentary, how many hours of just from start to finish to birth this thing. Oh, I don't think you want to know. <laughs> no, I want to know. I paid for it. So. I know. <laughs> um, this one took longer than um, anticipated just because it was such a big topic and we really just wanted to get it right. Um, but we only spent, I would say like maybe five total days shooting. Um, so it wasn't a lot of shooting time. It was. Oh, no, no, no. But let's get, let's get the calendar out. <laughs> when was the first meeting 
to discuss uh, this or the first time you put pen to paper um, or, or fingers to keyboards on scripting and all of that. How, we've been do, talking about this. This has to be since what, like March? January. 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 Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, we brainstormed pretty early in the year what we wanted to do. Yeah. We shot most of it in April. Yeah. And I wanted to, I just want to give our listeners a sense when they see a 10 minute doc, you know, and like this, this day and age, 10 minutes or so is like a lifetime for people when they're watching a screen, you know, um, to what it takes to condense, uh, to tell a story accurately. And one of the things that, you know, uh, people may not know, but we also send this through legal review because these are sensitive issues. We're talking about companies that are living amongst their communities. So we want to make sure we got everything nailed down and we're covered and all that. But uh, the layers of, of steps that we have to go through to get this 10 minutes, um, some of it's production, some of it's shooting, but there's other aspects that are involved as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, if we just quantified the hours for a 10 minute video, it's probably in the hundreds of hours. Oh yeah. Easily. <laughs> for right? Sure. Yeah. right. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, do you want to do something like this again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I think it's amazing that you guys let me do this and I'm sorry this one took so long, but I think it was worth it. I, I, I mean, this is my dream was always to work on documentaries and I can't believe that's like what I do here sometimes, but I do lots of other stuff in addition to this. Um, like while I was, you know, working on this, I also like edited two Michigan's best day videos. I, you know, produced day to day videos, produced some live interviews. So it wasn't the only thing that I was working on all these months, but I, it's, I definitely would love to do like another project like this. All right. I'm going to come at this question a different way. How did you feel like two weeks ago when we were coming back at you with edits and questions? Um, I may or may not have cried <laughs> during a team's call. <laughs> it's, it's hard because, um, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a reporter, so I have one of one of our reporters, which I should mention, Garrett Ellison, has been really helping me with this, you know, making sure I get the facts straight and, you know, fair reporting. So it's this is definitely like not not like anything I've ever done before. So it's I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to like upset. I, I want to, you know, upset the people in the right way. I want to, you know, inspire people, but I want to be, you know, be fair to everyone that I interviewed and tell their story. So it's it's a lot of pressure to like get it right. <laughs> I take no joy in your pain, Lori. You know, when I, but when I was hearing of the anguish as we were getting near the end, it was like, we're almost there. Come on. The baby's almost out. We could do this. And, you know, to see the finished version, um, I, I mean, it, we could focus on the great work that you've done. And, and I think it's a, it's a service. It's a journalistic service to our viewers and, and M live readers and listeners. So, and we'll have it up this week, um, available for people to, to start watching. And of course we'll be writing a post about it and they'll see that on M live as well. Um, so, so let's talk about a few of the takeaways. Okay. Uh, you personally, um, a, about the topic itself, any surprises or things you learned about the topic? Um, I think just like how long it's been around. Um, I, I love history. And so I, there's a photo that's in there that's also going to be in the post. And it's of um, one of the first environmental justice protests, which was in 1982 in North Carolina. And you can see it's a really stark photo with people just laying, literally laying in the road, trying to block a truck from delivering hazardous waste to dump in their community, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's the movement's been around for, for a really, really long time. And I think that with the social justice 
awareness of the last year or so. It's just, I think it's gaining momentum. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big shift to turn, you You're know, right. to make a change. Right. Uh, I'm just going to go on a total tangent. Eric, you know, I do one per podcast, right? You do. You're due actually. Yes. Uh, the, you were, I was due. We're almost to the end, but yes. I, I couldn't help myself. You mentioned global warming. Uh, we've had a, a very popular story on them live the last few days about this, um, this uh, spoonbill roseate. It's a bird from Florida that is hanging out in a pond here by Ann Arbor. It's actually in a pond next to where I live. And the road is just choked with all these birders. And they're like, oh, my God, it's like an epiphany. This bird showed up. I'm like, this is the seventh sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> this bird had to fly 2000 miles like so it could live. You know, <laughs> it had to come to Michigan because it can't live in Florida anymore. Um, but anyways, I think to your point, we're there's more awareness than there's ever been. But there's almost like, is there feeling is it too late? You know, can we turn it around? And I think watching this documentary is going to um, inspire people. Gonna, at first, they'll be more educated. Uh, and, and if they weren't aware, as they drive through these urban areas uh, of the human cost of it, they will be. But also that there, there, there are things we can do, you know, there's, and it's not always just the legislature. I think there's growing awareness and environmental um, activism or responsibility by companies. You know, uh, companies make like Ford Motor Company making green pledges and things like this. So I think it's a very timely and important video. So um, could you I, I know that there's more in the can. Uh, do you want to tease like what's what's coming down the pike? Um, because originally this was more of a sprawling story. Right. So what what's still what's still in the editing room? There's a whole nother <laughs> section. <laughs> Yeah, because this was actually they had there was a whole Kalamazoo focus, so we may we may be putting together a second video focusing on Kalamazoo and um, there's the north side neighborhood of Kalamazoo is a historically black neighborhood, red line neighborhood, and they have a 14 year life expectancy gap between compared to zip codes that are just the the surrounding zip codes. So Mm -hmm. like people who live there live on average 14 years fewer. So um, and there's some historical health reasons that um why people in that neighborhood are possibly you know could be related to industry so we're we might have that like in the next week or so well okay i want to remind you of something laurie we're gonna go back we're gonna gonna rewind the tape on this because we have it eric's (laughs) recording you said you live for this and love it i do okay so like the whole tears part right you're cursing people it's me and everybody you remember you love this, right? I do. Yeah. Well, thanks. It, it shows through in your work. It really, really does. I'm very, very proud of this. Um, I don't want to uh, hex the next Emmy Awards, but we're certainly going to, this will be an entrant. Um, this is the kind of work we're doing more and more consistently in live. And it's a credit to you, um, Jeremy Marble, Neil Blake, um, uh, you know, all of the producers are Jillian Van Strat. Everybody has been working on this and uh, just hats off to you. Fantastic work here. And I, I really encourage our listeners to, to, to watch this this video and, and let it uh, you know seep into their consciousness about what's happening and, and perhaps some of the steps they can take to make a difference. So thanks for joining us today, Lori. All right, thanks for having me. There they go. Big thanks to Lori Chapman for being on the podcast. And as John said, the documentary is out this week. You can check it out at MLive.com. And as always, if you like what John and I are doing, you can like, review, or share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines. <laughs>